the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Tuesday, May 26th. Today, throughout history, pandemics have wrought hell, not just on families and economies, but specific social groups. At times like these, politicians and members of the general public sometimes look to scapegoat minorities. And for coronavirus in the United States, unfortunately, this racist hammer is now falling on Asian Americans. My colleagues, Frank Xiang and Jen Yamato, host our Asian Enough podcast and have been thinking and talking a lot about the growing racism they're seeing, but also the ways folks are resisting hate. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, such a huge topic. Let's condense it in one minute. Either Frank or Jen, give us a one-minute history of the stereotypes and real-life violence with Asians and disease in the United States. Sorry, I have to laugh because how do you condense (laughs) all of that into one minute? Frank, take it away. One-minute history. Okay. So I'm going to start, I guess, back on the uh, Chinese Exclusion Act. Up until the run-up of the passing of the Chinese Exclusion Act, there was a national conversation that conceptualized Chinese people as a problem. And one of the big ways in which we conceptualize Chinese people as a problem is by taking a look at Chinatowns in urban environments and using pseudoscience to essentially prove that they were gross and that they were a problem and that hygiene was a huge issue. And so the association of disease, of of weird diets, is actually a very old stereotype in the United States. And you saw that translate into real-life violence. Uh, Chinatowns in Santa Ana, in Honolulu, all across the United States, they were burned down because of the supposed uh, threat of leprosy or God knows what other disease, right, Jen? Well, yes, and you've seen this also not just in Asian-American communities over the decades and and over many, many years of American history, but other ethnic enclaves as well. So it's not that this has only ever happened to Asian Americans, certainly not. This is a response that we have seen over and over and over again throughout history. And then you hear, you know, when I hear President Trump describing coronavirus, I mean, we'll get to the truly derogatory nicknames in a bit. But what really strikes me is when he calls it the invisible enemy. To me, that's just a dog whistle like no other. Yeah. You know, Trump and other leaders over the last decade in American history have really sort of drummed up the threat of China. And there's all sorts of different language that they use to kind of put China as this adversarial uh, party for the United States. And it's all to sort of achieve political ends. It's interesting that you point to this example of the invisibility, right? As a concept, I think that is really ripe for dissecting, right? Asian American communities don't have a sense of visibility in the the greater American fabric. I think that has been something that has always been put upon the Asian American communities. And in times like these, when Chinese Americans or Chinese are being scapegoated during the COVID-19 pandemic, I think the Asian American community feels this imperative to, to mobilize and to be visible, to be heard. And I want to also kind of jump in here to talk about where did we get the term Chinese virus? You know, how did it appear in Trump's mouth? And a lot of people have blamed Trump for 
inciting this violence and causing this xenophobia. And he is an easy target. He obviously has a role to play. But a lot of this has to do with the taxonomy of virus naming. You know, for some reason in history, we have typically named viruses by their places of origin, African Ebola virus, Spanish flu. And in 2016, the World Health Organization came out and said, actually, hey, this is a practice that incites racism and causes violence and we should stop. So in 2016, this happened, but for some reason, we still had the Wuhan coronavirus and the Chinese coronavirus. And I think that, unfortunately, sometimes these things have to do with just how issues are reported out in the beginning, you know, headlines that are chosen. And in Chinese state media, the headline that they used was the Wuhan virus. And in the context of Chinese media, calling something the Wuhan virus is, it makes a lot of sense because you're simply just referring to the region where it came from. You know, when it's transliterated into American media as the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus, it carries a different connotation and meaning and, and it has a different effect. Yeah. And you mentioned the media. And of course, the sometimes the media, their biases, whether inherent or not, are so bad that they, in many ways they contribute to that stereotyping. One thing I'm thinking about is, you know, the alleged cause of coronavirus, that it came from someone eating bats or maybe pangolin or at a wet market. Then with the American media, all of a sudden that turns into, oh, you know, eating bats is a Chinese delicacy. Eating pangolins is a Chinese delicacy. And I, I read these headlines, and I'm like, or even these stories, and you roll your eyes and you think, like, do you not understand what you're writing? Yeah, I, I'm so glad you bring that up because people are so eager to explore this narrative, you know, even journalists. And, you know, we want to write about wet markets and how they, they are this problem of, of Chinese civilization that has to be solved. And, you know, frankly, there isn't enough evidence to launch those inquiries yet. You know, our eagerness to explore this narrative has overwhelmed our sense of objectivity. Scientists have not concluded that the virus came from the wet market. You know, why are we exploring these questions right now? Jen? Well, and I think all of us can relate to the experience, at least during this pandemic. And we're all a part of the same newsroom. And one experience that I've seen a lot of other Asian American journalists go through, especially during the the earlier weeks of the pandemic stateside, is trying to raise the issue within your own newsroom of, hey, maybe let's not just put pictures of Asian people in masks on stories about coronavirus. Yeah, it's a sort of default thing that many news outlets participated in, and, and you can see the logic behind it. But I guess this is one of those situations, just like when we you know, report on suicide or report on mass shootings, where we have to think about the larger effect of what we're doing. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
Frank and Jen, one of the other things that I'm noticing, so you have, of course, this whole xenophobia, but this is now turning uh, into like this show of, I mean, for lack of a better term, toxic masculinity, like this idea, like we're not going to wear masks because to wear masks is weak. And that's something also that I've seen in terms of stereotypes for a long time. Like I remember early on when people were starting to wear masks, you'd hear people like, oh, well, we're going to be like the Chinese. We're always wearing masks like this insinuation that somehow Asians are weaker because they're wearing masks. The way I saw it is anyone who was wearing masks, even early on in those days, they were just being practical and smart. Yeah. And I think actually this week in Wisconsin, uh, we saw news reports of a man who was charged for verbally harassing Asian Americans while in a store who were wearing masks. He was harassing them for wearing masks. And police are reportedly recommending hate crime charges in that case. Yeah, it's really incredible to see that science and the wearing of masks have become a politically polarized issue where you don't make the decision based on your science. You make the decision based on your politics. You know, it's wild to see this because, I mean, the first time I ever wore a mask, I was in Taiwan and I had a cold and my mom said it would be rude for me to ride the bus without wearing a mask. You know, in Asia, like wearing a mask has a completely different societal context that really is missing. You know, in the U.S., the societal context of masks is that first, you know, people looked at people wearing masks as figureheads and symbols of the disease, as threats to their lives. And, you know, and that's where we sort of got the, you know, violence towards Asian Americans wearing masks. And now all of a sudden, you know, the scientific communication is telling us that, oh, we should wear masks, you know, and, and I think a mask in reality, should just be like a knee pad for your lungs. You know, it shouldn't be anything controversial about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like one of the difficulties was that, you know, the communication from the CDC and other official scientific sources did not initially emphasize face masks. And now they did. And that left sort of an opening for politics to come in. And, and yeah, um, that's very troubling. But you know that that in terms of the Asian American community, feeling that impact of of maybe like extra scrutinizing eyeballs on you when you walk out your door in your mask or not wanting to go to the grocery store because friends that you that you know were themselves directly harassed while wearing masks. The Stop AAPI Hate Tracker, which was established recently during this pandemic, reported that in the first six weeks, 1,700 incidents of anti-Asian harassment were reported into just their tracker alone. And so, like, you, you think about the, the, the huge amount of, of the impact and, and actual everyday incidences that are happening and the numbers of that, and that's just felt within the Asian American community. You do have all this bad and a disturbing rise in hate crimes, but with bad, you always have to try to find the good. So one thing that I've that's made me happy to see is, you know, as we hail first responders and people on the front lines as heroes, one group that's definitely getting shout outs is the overabundance of Filipinos in the medical industry. Yeah, I wrote a column this past week just kind of exploring the history of why they're here. And, and I think it's a kind of an undertold story that, that more people need to understand. We have to understand that the agricultural industry cannot function without immigrants. We have to understand that the healthcare industry cannot function without immigrants. And we have to allow these histories to, to inform you know, the way we feel. 
Who are some other folks that are fighting the good fight? Like, as Jen said, not being invisible anymore, but pushing back and either, you know, pushing back directly against the hate or trying to lift up other, you know, aspects of the Asian American experience. I mean, we are an Asian, Amer- Asian American history month after all. That's right. I mean, the confluence of timing, you know, it's uncanny because this is May, which is traditionally Asian Pacific American Heritage Month when the Asian American and Pacific Islander community celebrates, you know, itself and celebrates each other and really tries to make this community visible to mainstream culture. It's a time of celebration usually. And this time, this year, it coincides with this uptick in anti-Asian sentiment. So I think it actually has rallied the Asian American community in a way to draw everybody closer together. And also you're seeing a lot of Asian American celebrities and artists not just in America, even, you know, outside of America, trying to use their voice uh, with hashtags like hashtag wash the hate to be heard in a time like this. I think that feels more important than ever. Yeah. And I guess I would point to uh, this is sort of now the modern Asian American community, you know, responding to racism. And you're seeing a demonstration of the privileges and powers that we do have. And we are using those to try to fight racism. You know, the fact that this is galvanizing people, the fact that this is clarifying where Asian Americans stand in in America's racial fabric, those are all positive things. And yeah, I guess, you know, on the subject of nurses, you know, the California Nurses Association, which is currently headed by a Filipino uh, woman, they have been advocating strenuously for PPE and demanding rights for for their nurses uh, ever since the beginning of the crisis. And and, and many Asian groups have been sounding the alarm about coronavirus. You know, they, they just weren't listened to. Thank you so much for this interview, both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Shaw. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow. <laughs>